This week on Making Contact. On May 25, 2020, the nation ignited after a bystander posted a horrific video of Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin kneeling on George Floyd's neck for over eight minutes. As terrible as Floyd's death was, it was the final straw in the most recent series of killings by police, retired or on duty, against African Americans that had gone viral on social media. They were Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. Since then, the movement to uplift black lives and to defund and dismantle police departments where officers disproportionately kill and brutalize African American men and women has grown to a point where it can no longer be ignored. In this episode, we'll hear from activists in Minneapolis, mourners in Houston, and later in the show, we'll revisit our archives from 2016 for an interview with the brother of Yvette Henderson, who was killed by Emeryville Police in California. This is Say Their Names on Making Contact. I'm Monica Lopez. On May 29th, demonstrators rallied in front of Cup Foods in Minneapolis to demand that the four officers involved in George Floyd's alleged murder be formally charged. Floyd's friend and former NBA player Stephen Jackson. This life meant more than a racist cop trying to display his hate for the world to see. Next time we hear the name George Floyd, it's going to be the name of change. Because this is the last time we're going to have to come together like this to get justice which was plain as day. They hate us that much. Well, recordings and phones don't matter. Come on, come on. But once again, I got to go back to common sense ain't common. But we here, we ain't scared. We ain't going nowhere. It's, it's so f***ed up that the world can see him get murdered. And we still got to do this to get justice. But it's not surprising. We here, y'all. If you're not with us, you're against us. Come on, man. It's that simple. Yes, sir. I'm tired. I'm tired of us. We want to benefit off our culture. But everybody want to be black until it's time to be black. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Today, we draw a line in the sand, bro. Either you with us or you against us. Just for my twin, man. Thank you. My name is Valerie Castillo. I'm Philando Castillo's mother. If you all remember, he was murdered in cold blood in his car with his seatbelt on, with a child and a woman in the car. And there was no accountability for shooting in a car at a black family. Now you tell me, what could he do? Where could he go? Where could he run? What could he do? He was seatbelted in his car. You emptied your gun in my 
is all right. That is what a reasonable officer would do. Taking a life. Now what would an unreasonable police officer do? You have taken a life and you're reasonable. What would an unreasonable police officer do? Come on now. I have warned them. For four years I have sat with these people across the table. And I talked and I talked and I cried. Listen. We got to change. We got to change some things. They wasn't hearing me. They wasn't hearing me when I begged. I begged them to change some things. Listen. And you wonder why it's going down like this. Yeah, go ahead, Pastor. You wonder why it's going down like this. Listen. It is the day of reckoning. According to the Hennepin County attorney, it's the prosecutors who are required to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that deadly force was not justified when seeking criminal charges against a police officer. Now, the time of reckoning that Valerie Castile has called out has arrived for police officers in cities across the country, first and most thoroughly in Minneapolis, where the city council voted to dismantle their police department. Lisa Bender is president of the Minneapolis City Council. Our commitment is to do what's necessary to keep every single member of our community safe and to tell the truth that the Minneapolis police are not doing that. Our commitment is to end our city's toxic relationship with the Minneapolis Police Department, to end policing as we know it, and to recreate systems of public safety that actually keep us as always, the devil is in the details. The website of MPD 150, a Minneapolis collective that works on the issue of dismantling the police department, says the city can do this in part by shifting social service-oriented roles to community organizations and by demilitarizing responses to emergency situations. On NBC's Meet the Press, Black Lives Matter co-founder Alicia Garza had this to say when asked what it means to defund the police. Are we willing to live in fear that our lives will be taken by police officers who are literally using their power in the wrong way? Or are we willing to adopt and absorb the fear of what it might mean to change our practices, which will ultimately lead to a better quality of life for everyone? And so again, I want to be very, very clear. 
seven years ago, people thought that Black Lives Matter was a radical idea. And yet Black Lives Matter is now a household name and it's something being discussed across kitchen tables all over the world. Why can't we start to look at how it is that we reorganize our priorities so that people don't have to be in the streets protesting during a national pandemic? It's really in a global yeah. pandemic. It's time for us to address the pandemic in our communities. And that pandemic is not having the resources we need to live well. And that's not just a Black problem. That's everybody's problem. While the Minneapolis City Council has stated its intention to defund and dismantle its police department, cities like Los Angeles and New York also promised to cut their police budgets in response to the protests. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti said he would redirect $150 million of the LAPD's $1.8 billion budget to spending on jobs, health, and education. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio hasn't offered any specifics yet on his cuts to the NYPD's $6 billion budget. On June 9, 2020, hundreds of mourners gathered to memorialize the life of George Floyd in Houston, Texas. What follows are excerpts from some of the speakers in attendance. Hello, my name is Brooke Williams, George Floyd's niece, and I can breathe. Long as I'm breathing, justice will be served for Perry. First off, I want to thank all of you for coming out to support George Perry Floyd. My uncle was a father, brother, uncle, and a cousin to many. Spiritually grounded and activist, he always moved people with his words. Their officer showed no remorse while watching my uncle's soul leave his body. He begged and pleaded many times just for you to get up, but you just pushed harder. Why must this system be corrupt and broken? Laws were already put in place for the African-American system to fail. And these laws need to be changed. No more hate crimes, please. Someone said make America great again, but when has America ever been great? Those four officers were literally on him for nine minutes, and none of them showed they have a heart or soul. This is not just murder, but a hate crime. You want the real today, right? My brother, he's sitting here. He didn't have to be sitting here today. Those men that stood on my brother's neck changed the world. They took somebody from us that was great. When I say great, I never heard him complain, not one time. He was an umbrella to all of us. He was 6'6". Any rain came our way, he made sure that he could cover for us. From the CUNY home to Jack Yates High, he was everybody's shelter. Everybody's shelter. I don't care what George Floyd did. I don't care. Let me tell y'all something. He was a human being, first of all. Congressional representative from Texas, Sheila Jackson Lee. George Floyd was here on an assignment. It is painful to be able to accept that. I'm so sorry I know him in death. But he was here on an assignment. 
Some folk on assignments only get to stay 30 years. When the wicked men thought they had done something. George Floyd took it 46 years, he walked this journey. He left behind sisters and brothers who could stand up against the adversity of life when the camera came and people asked to PJ and others, what do you want? We want justice. We want justice. And so my friends, I don't know if I'll ever get eight minutes and 46 seconds, Reverend Sharpton, out of my DNA. I don't know if I'll ever be able to overcome the words, I can't breathe. Eric Garner's mother and Trayvon Martin's mother and all the mothers and Robbie Tolan, I can't breathe. But what I will say that the assignment of George Floyd and the purpose will mean there will be no more eight minutes and 46 seconds of police brutality. There will be no more eight minutes and 46 seconds of injustice and the mistreatment of African-American men at the hands of the laws of this nation and anyone else. There will be no more eight minutes and 46 seconds that you will be in pain without getting justice. His assignment turned into a purpose. And that purpose was around the world that there are people rising up that will never sit down until you get justice. And so I say to all of those who are here to that, and so I say to George Floyd, it'll be up to us that his purpose and his assignment for the justice of this nation, for the fact that there will never be the brutality faced by a man that says, I can't breathe, and calls to a mama who loved him so. Reverend Al Sharpton. Let us not leave this family now that the ceremony is over. This is the beginning of the fight. This is not the end of the fight. George, I read on the front page of the New York Times this morning, you said you wanted to touch the world. Well, God had already made you for that. But you didn't touch it in a basketball court or football court. God had something else for you to do. Because all over the world, George, they're marching with your name. You've touched the world in South Africa. you touched the world in England. You've touched every one of the 50 states. Even in a pandemic, people are walking out in the streets, not even following social distancing, because you've touched the world. And as we lay you to rest today, the movement won't rest until we get justice, until we have one standard of justice. Your family is going to miss you, George, but your nation is going to always remember your name because your neck was one that represented all of us and how you suffered represented our suffering. So we're going to lay you near your mama now. You called for mama. We're going to lay your body next to her. 
But I know mama's already embraced you, George. You fought a good fight. You kept the faith. You finished your course. Go on and get your rest now. Go on and see mama now. We gonna fight on. We gonna fight on. We gonna fight on. We gonna fight on. Those were the voices of family and dignitaries from the June 9, 2020 funeral services for George Floyd in Houston, Texas. You're listening to Say Their Names on Making Contact. Coming up, a conversation from our archives with Jameson Robinson on the death of his sister, who was killed by police in the San Francisco Bay Area. We'll be right back. In cities across the country, black women, many of whom have been on the front lines of the movement for black lives, are continuing to lift up the names of their sisters killed by police. Sisters like Yvette Henderson, who was shot by Emeryville police. In this segment, Encored from 2016, Making Contact's Marie Che went to Jameson Robinson's home to talk with him about his sister, Yvette Henderson. This is her as she was young. I think she was about 11 years old. This is me and her. Yeah, I, I, we were going to, um, I think it was Disney on Ice, I remember. This is at the bar station. And that's about the uh, only picture I was able to find with me and her. And I, I, I can remember that day like it was yesterday. Oh yeah, this is her when she was a baby. Still looking the same. Yeah, this is like one of the recent pictures of her. She was beautiful. It was that smile. We're in Oakland, California, on a quiet street, just one block from a busy freeway and a big hospital. I'm sitting on Jameson Robinson's porch. He's swiping through photos on his phone. I had come to talk with him about his sister, Yvette Henderson. Yeah, that's the... <laughs> yeah, she was, she, she was always happy. Yes, everyone was like, she did, she, she was always happy. And then just, just laughing and just smiling all the time and just being goofy and funny. Our mom passed away. Uh, she, my mom passed away like in 89. You know, I was eight, she was 13. She took a big step as being, going from being just a little teenager and then realizing that her family is going to need her, you know, saying pretty soon because our mother was gone. Our father, you know, saying father never really was around, but and she just took on that role as being a mother, grandmother, you know, just just an all around good person. And I, you know, I just I miss her a lot. 
from, from what I know, she was living a, a good life. You know, she had a she had a job, house, car. You know, she had her kids together. You know, a couple months prior to her passing away, she kind of there was some personal issues that led her to almost losing her job and her house and her car. She was staying with her friend for a little bit so she can, you know, save up her money and stuff and get it in another spot. But before she could make that move, everything changed. She breathed! The woke up, take care of them babies, preparing their breakfast, preparing their clothes, preparing them for the world. No way she could know what she faced that day after run a few errands then home. That day, her errands included a stop at Home Depot. When Yvette was leaving the store, a security guard stopped her. He accused her of shoplifting and called the police. Hello, I'm security for Home Depot. I have a female shoplifter. She's being uncooperative. Doesn't want to come in. She's being uncooperative. Yeah. She's trying to dig in her purse. She's whispering to me. Okay, you worded it. She's being uncooperative. Doesn't want to come back to the store. Yvette had sustained a head injury after security guards pushed her to the ground. She wanted an ambulance. She, uh, she also wants to request an ambulance. She said that she hit her head when she fell to the ground. She requests an ambulance? Yeah. Okay, we'll go ahead and get one of those started. Okay. Can you stand the line? Sir? We don't know exactly what happened, but we do know that she never made it to the ambulance. The security guard, the one who called 911, said that she ran from the store and pulled out a gun. She was trying to get on the bus. Are you going to send somebody over here? She pulled out a gun on us. An eyewitness told local news station KTVU. I just saw a lady, the bus was stopped behind Best Buy at the stop sign. And she was running, holding her purse, and waving her hand. And next thing I know, I see a police lady chasing her. On February 3rd, 2015, police officers shot and killed Yvette in broad daylight across the street from the Home Depot. She was 38 years old and a mother of four. She had just celebrated the birth of her first grandchild. I, um, I mean, I, I really didn't find out until the next day. You know, on, on the news, my, my auntie saw it on the news early that morning. I was basically asleep. My auntie called me and I... Googled it on, on, um, on my phone. Police say she ran down Hollis under the 580 overpass while attempting to carjack at least three vehicles. Police say they ordered her to put down her weapon, and that's when she pointed it at them, and they opened fire. And then the stuff that they were seeing was kind of like, I, I didn't understand how they was trying to make it seem like she was just so, just, just deranged suspect that was out carjacking and, you know, just, I mean, she just dropped her kids off at school, like, a few hours before that. And, and, and I, I just didn't believe it, so I ended up Googling her name and reading all, whatever I can, just to come to the conclusion. That's when I be, came across Indy Bay, and I read about APTP. That was the only article that I believe that was questioning just how, how I was questioning like what happened? Like what? Why? Why did they? I mean, I mean, for one, they said that she was allegedly carjacking three cars. I mean, she's she's a, a small woman. You know, she's about four eleven, five feet. And how they were saying that she 
allegedly pointed a weapon towards the cops. And I'm, I'm just like, that That sounds, I mean, if you knew her, if you know her like anybody else knows her, that, that, that just sounds just unbelievable. That's when I investigated my own way, trying to see if there was uh, videotape, any witnesses that was there. Jameson began by reaching out to the Anti-Police Terror Project, a local organization that, among other things, trains people to be community first responders when the police kill someone. The officers that killed Yvette had been wearing body cameras, and the stores had video surveillance, both inside and outside. With the support of APTP and other local organizations, he began demanding the release of the video footage and the coroner's report. For months, people held vigils and marches, shut down the Home Depot, created street theater. See, when a black woman runs for her life, the world won't stop for her. She bangs on their windows, begging for her life, but they go along by. After two months, the Oakland Police Department allowed Yvette's family and their lawyer to view the video footage. Because everything they were saying, that there was no video camera from extra storage place, which was the most critical footage where it was like right in front. There was no footage from that. The body camera was off on both of the officers or whatever. And to me, it makes me feel like they tried to cover it up, you know, trying to make it, trying to make her seem a certain type of way just for them to make it look good for the police or whatever, or just to make them feel like it was justified, you know? Because I don't understand why they can, how they just killed her like that. And then with an AR-15, which was like just overkill. Yvette's family pressed even harder to get the coroner's report. They mobilized the city council meetings and protested outside the police stations. It shouldn't have took that long. It took really like almost like eight to nine months. And I just basically wanted answers and wanted the truth. And, you know, not not no cover up, not no if ands, maybes, not no allegedly, just the truth. When the sheriff finally released the coroner's report, the results were shocking. Dan Siegel, the attorney for Yvette's family reviewed the coroner's report and found that there was no evidence to suggest that she was an imminent threat to police officers or that she was even facing them when they killed her. Uh, the evidence that we have gathered so far indicates that the officers were absolutely under no threat at all at the time they fired at Ms. Henderson. They hit her at least three times. None of the shots were in the front of her body. They were in her back and in her side. They shot her to death. There's, again, no evidence that any of them were at risk because of any action that she took. Yvette's brother, Jameson, says this experience has changed the way he sees things. Don't believe everything you hear on the media. So, I, mean, I mean, sometimes you have to go and do your own research. Just keep fighting for justice, that's it. 
you know, just keep fighting and don't don't give up, don't let down, because the moment we let down is the moment they're gonna keep keep going for it. Again, that was Jameson Robinson speaking about his sister, Yvette Henderson, who was killed by Emeryville police officers in 2015. The Henderson family reached a settlement with the Emeryville Police Department in 2017. You've been listening to Say Their Names on Making Contact. Special thanks to Davey D. of Hard Knock Radio and Rebecca McDonald from Be Fresh Productions for allowing us to use field recordings from Minneapolis. The Making Contact team is Executive Director Sonia Green, Producers Anita Johnson, Salima Hamarani, and Monica Lopez, Web Manager Catherine Steyer, Director of Initiatives Lisa Redman, and I'm this week's producer and host, Monica Lopez. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.